You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. The activity of being alert and awake in your own life, that's what led me to quit drinking because I was like, you know, there's more that I want to contribute and experience and give and I don't want to be this guy. And, and so the first step is getting to a pain threshold. The second shift is if you change in life, how do you keep it, right? How do you keep the change? And that's always at the level of identity. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. All right, well, it is, uh, once again, it is momentum all around Australia and uh, so thrilled to have you tuning in. And a big thank you once again to the stations all around Australia who take the show and uh, enable you to listen in right now. Without further ado, we're going to go straight to my co-host and good friend, Des Kennedy, the Irish voice of momentum. How are you this week, my friend? <laughs> the Irish voice of momentum. Fantastic. I've never been called Aussie, so that's okay. Man, it's great to be on the show. It's, uh, it's great. And just uh, by way of introduction, don't forget our website, which is momentumaustralia.org. Lots of information, lots of uh, um podcasts and so forth and if you want to support momentum please you can do that on our website and also don't forget our care line 1-800-000-MEN 1-800-000-636 you can reach out and get help confidential safe help seven days a week 9 a.m to 11 p.m 1-800-000-MEN and tim how are you yeah going well man going well always love sitting in this space and always love Actually, when we have conversations with the guests that we're about to do, uh, before we get there, though, you know, we are racing through the year and, you know, maybe you came into the year with some resolutions and plans, some changes you wanted to make in your life or your lifestyle. You sit and ponder that for a moment, four months in or whatever it may be. How are you going with that? You know, statistics show that as many as 80% of people fail to keep their New Year's resolutions by February and only 8% of people stick with them for the entire year. Now, that's not great statistics. So then how do we start to implement long-term lasting change in our lives? You know, it's so true. I don't think it would be as high as 8%. <laughs> I suspect it would be a way <laughs> lot lower than that. But this week we're exploring how to bridge the gap between where we are and where we believe we could be based on our unique human potential. Bridging the Gap is a book written by international speaker, author, businessman, executive coach, and all good friend of Momentum, our good friend Jonathan Doyle. So Jonathan is joining us right now. Welcome back, Jonathan. Uh, it's good to be back, guys, with two of my favorite humans and uh, looking, looking forward to, uh, you know, the, just having a great conversation and seeing how we can hopefully offer something useful to the men listening uh, here and over around the world. Brilliant. It's an interesting concept, Jonathan, isn't it? That, that whole bridging the gap piece. And I know when I first met you many years ago, this was a book that uh, I came across on a bookshelf and uh, instantly struck me, I think, because I think we all have some degree of you know, goals, potential ideas that we feel like we've got to bring to the world or we've been gifted and we're not sure how to use that. And there is, you know, this then journey that we kind of go on to go, how, what does that look like for me? And, and how do I bring that to the world? Before we embark on what that might look like for our listeners, let's talk about you and go, I suppose, what inspired the book for you? Was it that moment? Was it that sort of unearthing of your own sense of there's more or there's something that I'm looking to delve into to bring to the world that kind of created the book at large? That question's going to keep me up tonight. I'm just like... Uh, <laughs> well, we're starting on the light and fluffy end of things, you know. <laughs> well, I guess I'm a classic type A personality. There's been a drivenness in me since as long as I can remember. The, my best understanding of it at this point would simply be that I, I you know, my father... Most of my life has been a reaction, I think, to him 
for better or worse. Like he was somebody who was very much broken by life. I had a huge amount of trauma and I kind of grew up watching him, you know, really suffer, I guess, and spend his life doing work that he hated and being deeply, deeply unhappy. And I think that shaped a great deal of my approach to life. I was just going to say, you said there about most of your life has been lived in a reaction to him. Can you explain that? Well, I think if I've often looked at people like, uh, for example, recent Australian history, you look at people like Kevin Rudd and even Malcolm Turnbull who are on different sides of the political spectrum, but both enormously driven and both coming from a similar traumatic childhood with a lot of rejection in it, uh, a lot of traumatic rejection. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that so much of my life has been that. I, I I wonder if it should be different, If I, what life would be like if it wasn't that way, but I've learned to kind of accept the cards that I've got and, uh, you know, very much on a journey. Like I'm still, you know, do I transcend that at some point? Uh, but that's probably what's driven me a great deal because so much of the instability and suffering in my own childhood and adolescence came as a result of, I think, what he was living through. So mm. when that, that stuff shapes you, right? Like it just... For better or worse, it shapes you. And it shapes in lots of different ways, doesn't it? I mean, you look at things in different perspectives. I mean, if you're, if your father, if you don't have that strong father figure um, in a positive sense, then you, you either want to um, beat out against that or do something different. You know, so you have lots of, the whole spectrum in there in terms of reaction. So true, Des. Like some people go into avoidance, they spend the rest of their life kind of, hiding from the world uh some react with aggression um but you know i'm somebody that you know as i've said i've said publicly i'm somebody who's come through a, a lot of abuse um a lot of trauma and i've had to work for kind of 30 plus years now to try and yeah try and work with that so you know I, life life Life's, life can be hard, right? Like it can yeah. actually be. Yeah. I was reading a great book a couple of days ago by Benedict Groeschel, who's a very famous Franciscan psychologist in New York who died a few years ago. And he just wrote a chapter saying, you just need to remember that it's not unicorns and rainbows. It's It, it can be very difficult and very hard. And, mm. you know, we live in a culture, I think, where when things are very difficult, there's a lot of coping systems available. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I quit drinking completely because – you know, I could see that that was going to become a long-term problem, long-term coping system. So mm. I think I think in our culture at the moment, there's many ways to escape, yeah. to avoid the hard work of, of, of developing yourself. So pick your poison, right? Jonathan, can I jump in and ask then, when you talk about that, right, because I think this is important for the guys listening too, um, we, we talked about that shaping us, right? And, I, and for me, for 38 years, I lived through a filter of rejection because of my mum. And then I made a conscious choice once I realized that that, and it was a lack of awareness originally, but once I was aware that that had affected my life, then I could do something about it. Until then, I wasn't aware of it. And to some degree, I was living as a victim, right, of that without even being aware of it. So was there a conscious part in your journey where you went, I don't want to be a victim any longer to that, I don't want to be reactive to that anymore. And for the guys listening, is it a choice? Is it simply that to go, I can see that and now I'd want to change that? 
Because let's be honest, a lot of us can just stay in victim mode and go, well, I've got a lot of excuses I can use to back that up <laughs> rather than actually do the hard work of changing. Yeah, two points. I mean, the, the American metaphysical writer, uh, Henry David Thoreau, wrote the famous book Walden, and he had, he coined the line in that book, which many people would know, which was he wrote, the great mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation, yeah. right? Right, yeah. And the other thing is that Carl Jung, who, you know, was was Freud's acolyte until Jung kind of went out on his own, Jung famously said that you will, if you do not make the unconscious conscious, you will basically spend the rest of your life calling it fate. Like uh, that's okay. not the exact wow. translation, but it's quite powerful. Like if you don't, if you don't come to terms with what eventually is, is the deeper driving forces of your life, you, you look at the wreckage of your life and say, well, that's just fate. That's just you know, like, what could I do? Um, I've been doing a huge amount of work lately and I've come to this pretty late in life on shame. Um, mm. Shame is the master emotion and it's kind of, it, it, it's very deep roots to it. And I, and I might give you listeners of some, I'll give you guys some links. There's three or four books that I've read. This is what I tend to do. I tend to, it's like fishing. I kind of get a sense of where the, where the prey is and I go after it. <laughs> yeah. And I've sort of, in the last few months I've gone, I've been asking myself a question. I'll be going, when it, when things aren't working in my life, when I'm not getting the results I want, I go, what explains this? What explains this? Like, it's not, you know, it's not alcohol. It's not laziness. Like if I'm not getting the results that I want, and I've really come across this work of shame. And I think that many of us, and I won't say everybody, but can carry very, very deep mm. wounds as a species. We have the longest dependence period of any mammal. So as, as little little humans we're dependent for very long periods of time and we can pretty much do no wrong but as we get older we sort of start to get experiences of rejection right mm -hmm. and the, the experience of shame is profound and yes. i think tim i'm saying that in reference to what you were saying in relationship to your own mother like you know guilt is i've done something bad shame mm. is i am something bad well mm. yeah and that that can cover just about everything. And I think for most men, it, many men, I, I don't want to say everybody, but it lurks beneath the surface. There's a deep sense, and I hope I'm not projecting, but there's a deep sense of there's something not okay about me. Yeah. If people if people really knew what I was like, yeah. um, if people really knew what I'd done, and what that will tend to do, I think, is it'll undermine, that's the nature of self-sabotage. So self-sabotage is basically as the circumstances of your life get better, the underlying shame architecture goes, hang on, you can't be here. You're not the kind of person that deserves to mm. be here. Mm. So then you go and blow it up. So those forces, and now, now that we've started the podcast in such a light and airy way, <laughs> uh, those are the things that are beneath the surface. And I think, but not for everybody. Some guys just go, not for me, dude. Like life's pretty sweet. Um, this stuff will show up when life gets difficult. You don't, you don't worry about this stuff when life's going well. So talking about the whole shame thing, and and, and for guys who are listening in, and they're they, you know they're they're saying, wow, yeah, that the little light goes on in their head and said, hey, you know, that's what I'm dealing with, whether it be shame from childhood or from things we've done or whatever. What advice do you give to those men that to say, here's how you break through that, here's how you, you know, triumph over that shame? Yeah, well, you you definitely don't. I don't think you think your way out of it. Because if you think if you could think your way out of it, everybody yeah. would do it, right? Yeah. Um, 
my only take on this so far is it's fundamentally a, a spiritual task. And yeah. I know everybody listening is going to be in a slightly different place, but that it requires a profound spiritual healing. That's mm. that's the only thing I can say. And you can't really do it yourself. All you can do is recognize it. Yeah. So I've been spending a lot of time lately sitting in the back of the cathedral where I live and I just sit there and stare at the cross and that's about as far as I've got. Because my take on the Christian message is, and I was, I heard a priest say this a few days ago, like he said, if you walked into the cathedral and you, you had no religious background, you'd be asking yourself, why is that guy hanging up there? Like why? Like what sort of religion has an instrument of torture as its essential motif? And the argument is that, that really what Christ is, does, what the cross does is it's an entry into human suffering of all the things I guess God could have done, like God could have just turned up with a few legions of angels and just vaporized everybody and said, right, who's on the winning team? But it's a deliberate entry into shame and a deliberate entry into human suffering. And I think if you can begin to accept some of that stuff, then I think you you might have some hope. But see, what is, I mean, how does our culture handle it? Um, it's really fake it till you make it. It's if you feel shame, just hide it, just yeah. bury it under whatever you can. So I think men will tend to go to avoidance like addiction. Mm. So food, alcohol, pornography, whatever, maybe or they'll go to aggression or they'll be hyper-masculine to be, you know, mm. they, so they can't get hurt again, right? Like yeah. I'm never going to be mm. shamed again. And so I've played all those cards at some point. So, And also they close themselves in as well, don't they? You know, they go into their man cave and... Yeah. Men go for mastery. Like once, once there's too much suffering and difficulty, men will go to the, to, they'll gravitate to the places where they have any success. Mm. The addiction piece though is a slippery slope, isn't it? Because often the addiction then reinforces the shame um, and it's the vicious cycle. But I, I am curious and I'm just going to backtrack a step if you don't mind, Jonathan. Um, why now for you? Why, why at this moment in your life do you think, or and why did you even come across the shame piece? Why, why that? What was kind of highlighted to you to go, I've done work in other areas, ah, this shame thing. Um, let's see if there's something in that. I'm, and I'm curious for you because then I want to relate it to guys listening because I think we've talked about this before on the show days with, uh, yeah. I think, Richard Fay. And identifying shame for a lot of guys is really difficult, I think. Yeah, it's hard to identify it as shame. I think it'll show up in different formats. Just before I answer that question, Tim, I really would draw people's attention to a book I just finished called Unwanted by Jay Stringer. Hmm. It's actually a book on, and I didn't, I didn't personally read it for these reasons, but it was a book about unwanted sexual addiction, pornography addiction. And I read it in terms of the work that I do, and I'm like, it's one of the best books on this stuff for anybody that's dealing with unwanted behaviors, whether it's alcohol or something else, because the whole addiction model has usually been uh, addiction is a way to avoid unpleasant feelings. Mm. So you, life sucks, so you drink, life sucks, so you vague out on the internet, whatever. But his thesis after tons of research is that what, what addiction is actually doing is reinforcing the belief that you're yeah. a terrible person. So if you've got a shattered inner self, 
you go and drink, you wake up with a hangover. What does it tell you? It's like, oh, you did it again. Yeah. Look, this is, so you're actually being really congruent with your own bad sense of self. You're actually going, oh, cool. I just got really drunk and offended all my friends again. Oh, well, I, you know, so <laughs> that book can help a lot of people. Um, wow. So Tim, back to your question, why now? Uh, because I think I exhausted just about every option. So, you know, my background's a background of, you know, profound sexual abuse, family violence, and probably for me the most, you know, for me the a lot of stuff was very dislocating. So every time I'd get settled somewhere, we'd move because dad would lose his job. And probably the most traumatic was getting put in a Salvation Army home at 15 because wow. that's the one that messed me up probably more yeah. than anything else. And so I've spent kind of, you know, 30 years in some form of counselling, working with psychologists, um, doing so many different things and really I'd have to be honest, not getting a result. So, I, you know, and I'm not speaking for anybody else, but I've been a little bit less than excited about how effective therapy really is for a lot of people. Um, mm. So I kept asking myself a question, like, why is none of this working? Like, why, why is it not giving me the result that I want? What, what explains that? And where it's brought me to most recently is this sense that there's got to be some operating principle that is very, very powerful and is shaping a lot of experience. And I did a course out of the U S recently and they did a lot of focus on, on beliefs the underlying beliefs mm. that we carry. And, um, I think that's where it is. I think if you, that that's so Tim, that's my answer, I guess, because mm. I, I've exhausted other options. I was asking myself the right questions. And and I think this is for me how God works. Like I pray a lot, but I never, you know, I never hear a voice going, Jonathan, when the Melbourne Cup comes around, you know, get on this horse, you're gonna do well. I don't hear I don't hear that. <laughs> what I tend to hear is I'll get something in my mind and then I'll read four books and they'll all be saying the same thing. And yeah. and that's how I get sort of some sense of I'm yeah. on the right track. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're we're going to take a short break. We're at that time of the show, but uh, as usual, we started in one spot with Jonathan Doyle and we've gone <laughs> in about 50 different directions. <laughs> but you know what? I, I love it because with respect, Jonathan, you are so open and vulnerable and, and honest about your journey. Yeah. And, you know, as Des will attest to that, and you know this, this is what we're about on Momentum. It's getting to the real stuff. And, you know, there's there's some parts of your journey that guys will not be able to relate to and yet there's some parts of it that a lot of guys will go you're speaking my language i can totally relate to that we're going to take a short break in momentum and come back with jonathan doyle in just a tick uh, in the meantime love you to have a squeeze around our website momentumaustralia.org and we'll be back with part two of jonathan doyle in just a moment stay tuned this is momentum a show that helps men succeed in life find out more at momentumaustralia.org all right. Well, welcome back to Momentum. And uh, I was going to say, put your seatbelt on, but it might be a little cliche to say that, but uh, we're going to go all over the place in the second part of the show once again with Jonathan Doyle. And you know what? We love it because uh, we never get just light and fluffy. It's always the deep stuff. And to be honest, uh, well, a lot of us a lot of us need that. We need to unpack some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, Des and I have journeys. We won't bore you with the backstories, but uh, it wasn't until we kind of started doing that work. And of course, you've heard Jonathan's story too, that... Uh, Life significantly improved for us. Didn't become perfect. We'll never be perfect, but uh, some awareness around what we've been dealing with 
in our young years certainly has helped. And uh, look, we just want to encourage you to reach out to the website, MomentumAustralia.org. If you need some help as a result of uh, what we're talking about today, uh, reach out to us at the website or, as Des mentioned at the beginning of the show, the care line, one 800 You can have a confidential chat if this is stirring some stuff up for you today. Jonathan, you know, we, we ended the first part of the show. You started talking about shame and there was a book you recommended. I think it was called Unwanted by Jay Stringer. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put some links up at the end of the show. But um, you also mentioned self-sabotage, which is an, an interesting thing. And we're kind of, I suppose, linking that to shame to some degree as well. Um, I remember a conversation I had with you couple of years back, I think on the radio, and it was about lying to ourselves. And it's an interesting concept that we would do that. Um, And you were saying about why we need to stop lying to ourselves. So let's off the back of shame, just bounce into that and, and go, okay, that's a really strange concept that that we, we would lie to ourselves. Where and why do we do that? I was actually thinking about that um, but I'm training for ultra marathons again. I was running this morning and I remember coming up this particular hill thinking about that question because I, I looked at the pre-show notes and I remember that quote that said, you know, the, the truth will, uh, you'll come to know the truth and the truth will make you free. But before that, it will almost beat you to death. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like reality is painful, right? Yeah, and so right. life can be really hard. So why face it, right? Yeah. Just tell yourself tell yourself a different story. Um, so we lie to ourselves because we probably don't want to face the truth. I mean, so what do you do with that? First step is to always have at least one person who always gets to hear the total truth. So I have a priest that I've uh, – he's actually the priest that was at our wedding 22 years ago. He's an amazing guy. So I always catch up with him. So I always make sure, and I say this to everybody, that you've got to have at least one person that Mm. gets to hear the truth. Can I clarify on that just for that? Because this is important. And Des and I, again, talk about this. This is one of the heartbeats of momentum is is getting connected with other guys and having honest conversations. Are you brutally, brutally honest with this man? Like, is there things that this man knows about you that nobody else knows about you? Is that the sort of honesty that we're talking about here? Hell yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's confronting for a lot of guys. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. For us to get with another guy, eyeball him or sit beside him and go, hey, this is what's actually happening in my life. And being really transparent is really, really scary for a lot of guys. Think about it in terms of what we talked about in the first half of the show. What is it that that reveals? The only reason that that's hard is one reason, and that's shame. Yes. Right. You see, you, you don't you don't struggle. No one struggles going to the pub with a friend going, oh, you know, I didn't mow the lawn last week. I feel bad about that. Like, that's not a problem for people, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, or to, or to admit that you support some weird team. Like, that's not a problem. But to go... Like the Canberra Raiders or something, you mean? Yeah, like that. Okay, so, <laughs> but to say I struggle with X or I've done X is really hard because it's shame-based. Um, and... Literally yesterday, or was it on Sunday? I finished a book by an, an orthodox, uh, an orthodox priest called. Oh, it's a book called Face to Face, I think it's called, where he devotes a whole chapter to this topic of confession. Um, mm. Which, yeah, I mean, people may not be people may not be religious. Listen to this, but the dynamics of being able to unburden yourself to be able to tell someone the truth mm. is powerful human experience. Yeah. 
I mean, what is, what's social media doing half the time, right? Like people will prance around on Instagram semi-naked, but they won't tell their best friends the truth about what's going on in their lives. Like this pretty weird culture we're yeah. inhabiting, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That, and I forget what you just said there. And it just went out of my head. But the way that you said about something, unsomething yourselves. Um, unburden. Unburden yourselves. Yeah. Is that is that how you feel when you go? Because let's be honest, for the, that moment before we're about to say something that we feel deep shame around, there's a tension within us to not do it. And then afterwards, you know, once you've shared it, as, as the saying goes, the problem shared is a problem hard. But once you've once you've actually confessed that stuff, and of course, when you look at biblically, that's James, confess to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. But is there that sense that the burden's lifted? Do you feel that? Or is it just the elation of I got that off my chest? <laughs> like I've done this I've done this really tough thing. We're in the realm of what you know what's called philosophical anthropology which is i would argue that almost every problem in our culture is ultimately a problem of philosophical anthropology which is what does it mean to be human you know what what, what is it what are what does it mean to be a human person and if you look at every major topical issue in our culture from sexuality to politics to economics they're all questions about what it means to be human and how we should treat humans and yeah. what humans, what, what leads to human growth and flourishing and what doesn't. So my take would be that to be human is to be a moral being and to be a moral being means you're capable of good and you're capable of not doing good. So what happens to a human when they carry those internal moral weight uh, loads, right? Uh because culturally we're told that, you know, morality doesn't really exist as such. And as long as no one gets hurt, you can do what you want, but that's not, that's not our experience. Like coming to really understand that we're capable of acting badly. Yes. Like own, owning that up is like, going, well, I, even recently I was just reading some of these books. I'm like, Oh, I've never thought that about myself. I've never thought that I actually could, you know, that I've been that way or that I've caused mm. that. Mm. So yeah, I just think, in terms of the confession aspect, look from my you know my religious tradition takes that stuff pretty seriously. Are there things that you've told this man that you wouldn't ever tell your wife? Um, no, no, I don't think so. Not necessarily. I try and keep pretty short, honest accounts. That's um, great. But you know, Kaz and I, well, I think the hardest stuff for us is actually getting time to talk to each other at all. With, <laughs> <laughs> Some say that's three, a good thing, actually. You know. <laughs> with with three kids in you know three kids in three years, yeah. um, who are now teenagers. So, yeah, look, yeah, I I I, I think that both for her and and this guy, there's there's a there's an openness there. Um, Karen's definitely seen the best and worst of me over 22 years of marriage. Sure. She's a very, very lucky woman. So, Jonathan, just talking back about being honest with ourselves, and, you know, I guess a lot of lot of men, you know, myself included, have been self-delusional, you know, over years about what we've done in our world, and I certainly have been there. Uh, how, do you, how do you break that down? What is there a process you can go through that helps you identify that and then fix it? And in terms of lying to yourself, that's a good question. I think, I think you'd look at the outcomes and you'd look at the 
the level of intimacy in, in your close relationships. That's that's often a good barometer. Like if you're really lying to yourself, that's going to show up somewhere. Yeah. Uh, significant change. I've been doing some study on this recently. Significant change in our lives tends to require crossing a pain threshold. So we don't change normally mm. until the pain gets bad enough. It's why, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous talks about rock bottom, right? Mm. Like we, we change when we realize that whatever we're doing or being or thinking isn't really serving us anymore. Yeah. And you got to get leverage on yourself. So this requires the, the 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 activity of being alert and awake in your own life. That's what led me to quit drinking. Because I was like, it took me ten years to kind of figure out. There's a lot of life I'm leaving on the table. Mm. There's a lot, you know. There's more that I want to contribute and experience and give. And I don't want to be this guy. And and so the first step is, is getting to a pain threshold. The second shift is how do you, if you change in life, how do you keep it, right? How do you yeah. keep the change? And that's always at the level of identity. So you change when you go, I'm a different person now. Like you take on a different identity. That's great. So, so yeah, lying to yourself, what does that mean for the average guy? I guess, I think sometimes we just press on and on and on. I think often guys will kind of just keep going yeah. until you reach some kind of crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that can be true too. Uh, look, to sum it up, what I've learned after 30 plus years of, you know, personal development work is that most people don't really want to change. Now, everyone will tell you they do, but we can observe the raw data of reality itself is that most people really don't. Like I'm not, no one's judge. I don't mean that pejoratively. It's just that how often do you see somebody really change like a road to Damascus kind of change because it's hard to change is hard. It's just hard. It's just to do things differently to, you got to be so conscious. You got to be really conscious. You got to go, why, why does this matter? Who do I want to be? Why, what is the leverage? What am I, what's the leverage that I need to make this happen? It's hard. It's really tough. That's yeah. why most people don't do it. Yeah. I mean, the awareness piece and what we're driving at, I suppose, is uh, for all of us. And, you know, thankfully all three of us on this call have had moments of awareness, clarity. And um, I can certainly say for Des and I, because I know our story and Jonathan, probably for you too, it's probably come at the end of a crisis or it's probably come at a moment where life was really pushing in on us to a point where we had to face some stuff. Uh, and that was the catalyst for change for us. Because as you said, Jonathan, we'll mosey along and we'll think that everything's okay or we'll kind of hide stuff in the background and not really look at it because we don't really want to go there and just kid ourselves that we're okay. And then, you know, at some point, at some point it'll, it'll, you know, hit the fan or something will happen and, uh, you know, be forced to look into a space. So I suppose as we wrap up the show, and I can't believe it's been half an hour already pretty much, but um, let, let's just speak into that space for guys who I suppose have had an awareness piece now, Jonathan, and um, go, hey, you know what? I've got some, I've got some stuff to do here. Um, you know, we've talked about confessing. We've talked about getting support, uh, sitting in our, in our own space and 
being honest with ourselves, what else would you recommend, I suppose, to at least start the ball rolling towards some change? I'd go with, with two macro filters if I can remember them. The first one is is the belief that everybody genuinely does have remarkable potential. That's the first part is to mm. kind of start, if you want to create change, if you want to start to go, yeah, there's something that's not right here. We all have remarkable potential. It, it strikes me that most of us will tend to, 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 to take a lot of it to the grave with us. Um, so what unleashes potential is usually a shift in environment or the challenges that we face. So there is all this potential in us, but a lot of the time it doesn't come out because either the environment around us just reinforces our day-to-day behaviors, doesn't expect us or encourage us to do anything remarkably different. Hmm. But there's plenty of examples of once people are really placed in difficult trials, they, they, they can tend to really change and grow. Um, so the potential piece is huge. The, the next part is just that, that gap between where people are at present and where they could theoretically be. So how do you close it? The, the, the basics are that you get enormously clear on what it is that you want so most people don't get to the first step, which is, okay, most people go, yeah, I want to win the lotto. I want this. But to get really clear, what what do I want? What is significant? And then the second is you look at stuff like getting leverage on yourself, like asking yourself the question, well, if I don't change, what does this look like? You know, if I don't change and this goes on for the next 20, 30 years, that's because Freud's take was there's only two human motivators, pursuit of pleasure and avoidance of pain. I actually think he's right on that. I think right from, from the highest levels of spirituality, the most basic physical needs, we, we, we try to avoid painful things and we try to pursue pleasurable things. So what does your life look like if it's just going to be more pain for the next 20, 30, 40 years? What does it look like if your poor behavior now affects your kids for the next generation? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the peer piece is really important. So really being very conscious around who you spend time with. Mm. Um, good. Y- you can't get rid of your family, but you can definitely start to make some good choices around who you spend time with. There is this stuff in us to do. And that's what the Greeks were onto. That was my academic background is the Greeks were the first ones to really go, what, is possible for humans and what kinds of situations and relationships and circumstances do they need to pursue to be able to, to reach that potential? Mm. It's a great question. And one we're going to leave with you as we wrap up this week's momentum. And look, we started with trying to explore Jonathan's book or going to explore Jonathan's book, Bridging the Gap, which is all about that. And we'll point you to Jonathan's website, jonathandoyle.co, jonathandoyle.co. And you can actually have a look at that on the website. The book that he mentioned as well, Unwanted by Jay Stringer, encourage you to check that out. And while we're throwing websites out, of course, the MomentumAustralia.org is the Momentum website. Love you to have a look around there. Uh, If you've got any questions, if you need some help or feedback, get in touch with us. And as Des mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you'd like to uh, financially support Momentum as well, we are a not-for-profit organization doing things on a shoestring as we do, but reaching men all around Australia just like you. And hopefully 
uh, helping you succeed in life. That is our goal here. Jonathan, as always, never what we expected, but uh, I think <laughs> always what we need yeah. to some degree. So thank you, mate. And uh, we really appreciate you being on the show, man. Great chat. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. For more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum. Momentum.